Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Thank you guys so much for being here and for uh, taking the risk. It seems like a huge risk to come and be together. Um, I'm a hugger, so it's hard for me today not to be like, hey, you know, like all of that. So great to see you guys this week. So we're going to jump right in here to the message. We're continuing our series on worship week three, and you'll see why we flipped the, the order of it here in just a little bit. So anyone besides Anita, not named Anita, can uh, tell me the number of different words for our, that our, the Bible uses for our one English word of worship. 16. Damn. Oh, man. Right there. 16. First line of your notes. 16. The Bible uses 16 different words for worship for our one English word of worship. 16 different words. So, those break down into three different categories. Anybody remember what the first category from week one was? Anyone not name Anita? <laughs> the studious one in the group? Week one, anybody remember the category? Submission. Submission. You had that with you? Did he have that with you? We're, we're going to have to silence Anita and Sergio, right? Like it's okay. Submission. That is the Hebrew word shakah, shakah, which means to physically kneel down or prostrate oneself. Um, and that bowing is a physical act, an outward representation of if you bow to someone, like the three Hebrew children who refused to bow to the king, you know, they're not going to bow because bowing meant I am submitting to you. That was the first category, submission. Second category, anybody remember the, the category from last week? Category from last week? Honor. Honor. Submission. First category, honor, is the second one. It's from the Greek word luturio, which means to honor by showing respect or by serving or following the instructions of. So we talked about last week how when you follow the instructions of God, you are honoring him, you are honoring his request, and that is another form of worship for us as Christ followers. Okay? So this week we're going to go over... The third category. So all of those 16 words, some of them are very similar. Some of them have a crossover. You'll see that here in just a second on this one. But the third category is affection. Affection. Submission, honor, and affection. Submission, honor, and affection. You'll hear us talk about these quite a bit going forward. So the biblical word that is best describing this Category. I'm going to spell this for you, okay? Because it is in another language. Um, it's proskunio. Ready? P-R-O-S-K-U-N-E-O. Proskunio. <clears throat> so this word has two different definitions, okay? So the first definition is kissing the hand towards, like this. Like blowing a kiss. That's number one. Or when you <laughs> blow and kisses to each other. This is awesome. Great. Participation. We love it. Um, that's what we're about at RCC. Um, or, or when you grab somebody's hand and turn it over and kiss the hand. 
We don't do that a lot in our culture. If you do that, that's weird. But at, like back in some movies or something, medieval times, right? You've seen somebody like take the hand and kiss the hand. You know what I mean? Um, or if you're a guy trying to get the attention of a lady, you kiss the hand. Don't do that. Don't try that. <laughs> Especially not with the coronavirus thing going on, right? It's a sign of affection. So the kiss the hand toward. That's the first. That's the the first definition. Second definition is very similar to that first word we talked about, shaka, which means kneeling or prostrating yourself on, in front of someone to express respect, publicly show the one being bowed to is of superior rank. So it's also another way to say, God, when I submit to you, you are above me. I'm not submitting to myself and elevating myself to your status. I am submitting to you. You are above me. So one of the places in the Bible, this particular word is used, we're going to read it together, is Matthew 14, 28 through 33. This is when Peter and the disciples are out on the boat and they see Jesus walking on the water. And this is what happens. Verse 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped, proscunio, worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. I find it interesting that after all the things that they've seen, this is the thing that pushes them over the top. All the miracles... All the healing, all the, you know, the turning water, the wine, the bread, the feeding of the 5,000. And this is the thing that kind of sent them over the edge to go, you really are the Son of God. This word is also used in another place in Scripture, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. Let's read that together. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship, proscunio, worship him. So, when we're trying to achieve true biblical forms of worship, submission, honor, and now affection, how do we show affection? That was my question when I started get, digging into the study. And I put the definition of affection there on your notes, okay? It is a feeling of liking or caring for someone or something. So, you like them, if you care about somebody, this is a sign of affection. Tender attachment or a fondness. <clears throat> Tender attachment or fondness, okay? So, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 talks about us and where our affections as believers should be. This is Paul talking to the to the um, Colossian church, and he's telling them, these are where your affections should be, okay? If, and I put it in the King James Version, uh, so sorry for the hard English, the old Queen's English here, but I want to highlight what it says specifically in the original translation. If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. 
For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's saying, set your affections, the things that you like, the things that you really care about, your attachments, your fondness on things of heaven, things of God, things on the kingdom of God, not on the temporal things of earth. Most of those things, all of our affections, most of those affections that we have, the priority of those affections are things with God, things above, not here below. Everybody follow me? Okay. So, I started asking myself, how do we show affection? How do we do that? How some real life practical ways we can show affection Probably we'll talk a little bit about relationships because we show affection in, in, in relationships here together. <clears throat> but what's another way we can show our affection also to God? And so as I was doing my study, there's a whole bunch of ways we can show affection. But there's seven principles and seven different actions of affection that we can example as Christ followers to start this journey of worship through affection. Okay? And we're going to talk about these seven real quickly, all right? Number one, give our full attention. Give our full attention. So if you have affection towards someone on a relational level, you give them your full attention. If you just said, huh, you're not giving your full attention. You've got to make sure that there's no distractions. So the second line of your note is to give our full attention, we must remove distractions. To give our full attention, we must remove distractions. Now, if you are in this room and you are married or wish to be married or you're in a, in a relationship with someone, dating relationship or something like that, uh, here's a couple of tips for you. How difficult is it for us to seriously believe others want to spend time with us when they are constantly distracted. Right? You ever done this? You ever ask somebody to go do something and they're like, yeah, man, let's go. And then you go do it and they're kind of not really there. They're there, but they're not really there. Their attention's not there. Their focus is not there. They're thinking about other things. So the number one distraction in our culture today is this. Number one distraction. Are you telling me not to have a phone? Absolutely not. <clears throat> you need it to work. You need it to kind of keep going on with the, everything with the CDC, right? Everything with the Arizona Department of Health. You're going to need all of that. Keep up with certain things, people's business around their phone. I'm not telling you to get rid of it. What I'm telling you is our number one distraction. So, jump off the message here real quick. Husbands. Boyfriends, fiancés, whatever it is, you out with your lady, and you're having dinner, put the phone away. The, the score will be the same even after dinner. This is not me jumping on you. This is me preaching to me. My wife stood up several years ago in front of our team and told them that I was having an affair, which was like, wait, what? This lady named Espen, ESPN, 
He's always talking to her. I was like, good lord, honey, you cannot be walking around telling people that. Like, I know this is a joke, but you should have seen all the Polynesian people who wanted to kill me for about nine seconds. Like, I was, I was, I'm like, hey, you can't be doing this, right? So, so we got to make sure that if we're engaged in a conversation, we're, we're somewhere with someone, that we take the phone away, put it away. Why? Because it's just the number one distraction. If you put the phone away and have the conversation with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend or your fiance and you have nothing to talk about, that is a good way to start to figure out what you need to say because that says I have been distracted from you a lot. Does that make sense? So let's put away the distractions and be engaged in our relationship and I guarantee you your relationship will bear the fruit of it. It will bear the results of it. So, now that I'm off my phone soapbox, you're going to be like, bro, where's it talk about all this in the scripture? Matthew 6, verses 30. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never, ever seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you, what I'm trying to get you to do here is relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your partial attention. <laughs> Give most of your attention. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow, which is a great scripture for our culture today. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come when the time comes. Let's step away from our earthly relationships for a second and let's step into the relationship we have with Christ. If you are going to have a relationship with him, I'm going to encourage you to do this. Cut the distractions. If you're going to go somewhere and meet with him, cut the distractions. Power that phone off. Or at least, at the very least, put some worship music on those headphones and put it to work for you because a lot of the time it works against you. Put it in the service of building our relationship with God. Because when you go speak to Him, when you go pray to Him, when you're not distracted and you're listening to Him, He speaks to you through His Word, through His peace, through His voice. <clears throat> Let me say that again. He speaks to you. The God who created everything, everywhere, the whole idea of planting seeds and they grow, trees, bushes, water, air, the theory of relativity, the, the concept of gravity, all of it came from him and he talks to you. He talks to me? Wait, he talks to me? When we pay attention, it means we're listening. 
we're engaged. And the next line on your notes, and we should have such a deep level of gratitude when we hear the Lord. There should be something in us that goes, He stopped to talk to me, to give me direction, to show me the right way to go. He's talking through His Word all the time, and He's talking to me. There's something in us that should just be astounded. Our minds should be blown that a God that big would look at somebody little like me and my, when he speaks to me, my heart should well up first with gratitude, even when he's correcting us. Even when he's correcting us, we have to give him our full attention. Second way we can show <clears throat> our affection, always make time. Always make time. That's number two in your notes. Determine that you will spend time with the Lord and nothing will interrupt it. So next line. Determine you will spend time with the Lord and nothing will interrupt it. I don't want to pass off to you the idea that people who are pastors or leaders or church staff or whatever um, don't ever struggle with trying to make time. For each other in a relationship or with the Lord. That if anyone tells you that, they're lying. They're lying. Because it is a struggle for everyone in our hyper busy, hyper distracted culture. Nina and I recently had this discussion together where we talked about man, we have a lot of demands in our family, we have a lot of demands with friends, we have a lot of demands with work. We have a lot, a lot of demands with entrepreneurial stuff. We have a lot of demands with my job and all these things. And if we continue giving ourselves to all these things and don't make time for us, when all those things end, I'm going to be married to a stranger. And I don't want her to be a stranger. I kind of like her. I want me and her's relationship to be closer than any other relationship I have, even if it's an effort that, that we go do together. It's possible to go do something together and still be apart. We have to make time for the relationships that are most important to us and the top of that list has to be our relationship with God. I'm going to encourage you as married couples, as uh, anyone who's in a, in a significant, meaningful relationship here in this room, I'm going to encourage you to do this. Set the time aside to be together and don't let anything interrupt the, the time. <clears throat> if you've got somebody that's in the hospital or sick or something, there's always one-off scenarios. But you understand how to prioritize the things that need to be, that would interrupt that, an emergency at that moment. But you've got to protect that time. And even more so, we have to protect our time with God. We have to determine... I'm going to go be with him, and there won't be any distractions. I'm going to carve out the time, and I'm going to make sure there's no interruptions here. Because he has every answer to every worry you could possibly have. If you are overrun by anxiety or stress, there are some conditions where you need some counseling to sort out some of that stuff. I'm not going to minimize that at all. But the majority of stuff, if you would take it to the Lord, he would show you the truth about what you're in the middle of, 
and how big he is and how small your problem is, and that anxiety level will decrease substantially. Substantially. Psalms 5, verses 1 through 3, David says this, O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning, I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. I don't want you to get hung up on the each morning. If you're somebody who works at 2 a.m., you're like, bro, at 1 a.m. is impossible for me. I get it. I don't think his focus here is you've got to pick a time before the sun crosses the noon hour. He's saying, I'm carving out a time, a regular time. If I were to recommend you morning or night, I think the morning's probably better. Before It is for me before all the cares of the, the world get in my head and all the things that I'm carrying start burdening my day. It's easier for me to do that. It may be easier for you to get past all of that and then spend time with them. I don't care. Carve out a time. And we see right here in Psalms, David is saying he's carving out a time each morning, every day, there is a time where he has set aside, he's making time to be with God. And if we're going to worship him, an act of worship is setting time aside for him, it's uninterrupted. Number three, get closer. Get closer. How do we do this with the Lord? I know how to do this with my wife. I say, I'm taking the day off. We're going to go spend it together. Her face lights up. She claps. Yay! I hope she's not kidding. <laughs> she really wants to go. I'm like, oh, yay. No, it's not like that. It's, it's, I think she's really excited. She wants to go and hang out, be together. doesn't matter what we're doing. Watching a movie. It could be just running through, talking. It doesn't matter. I know how to do this, but how do I do this with the Lord? Okay? First way we get closer to Him is this. First, we come to Him through faith in Christ. It is the first way that we get closer to Him. It's coming to Him through faith in Christ. Okay? We become intimate with His Word. We become intimate with His Word. We cherish the time we have spending in His Word. We cherish the time of the, the, the price that was paid to make sure that we have God's Word in our hand. Next, we pray and talk to Him. We pray and talk to Him. The next line, we pursue His directives and long to know His heart. This is a big one. We long to know his heart. The next one. We learn how he wants us to act and react to things in life. When we do those things, when we are spending that time with him, we're setting aside the time for him, when we're not interrupted, when we're removing the distractions... When we're paying attention, when we're coming to Him first and foremost through through faith in Christ, 
We prioritize his word. We are spending time reading, studying, asking him, what are you trying to say through your word to me today? When we're praying and we're talking to him and we're trying to know his heart, his desire, his will for every scenario that we're involved in, we're getting closer to him. James 4, verse 7 through 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Another message for another day. The next line, draw near to God. And when we do that, what happens? And he will draw near to you. <clears throat> Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. As I was doing my study, I ran across a, a, this, this next statement from... Um, the Clark Biblical Commentary, and he just says this in such a beautiful way. I didn't want to try to reword it in my own words. Just want to let's read it together. <coughs> Approach him, God, in the name of Jesus by faith and prayer, and he will draw nigh. That word nigh means near. He will draw near to you. He will meet you at your coming. Can we just stop right there for a second and thank God? that he meets us at our coming. I heard my whole life growing up in church that all you have to do is make a move towards God and he's coming towards you. And I thought, well, that's kind of cute. And then I read this and thought, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That is exactly describing what I was taught as a kid. He will meet you at your coming. Next line in your notes. When a soul... <coughs> sets out to seek God, God sets out to meet that soul. When a soul sets out to seek God, God sets out to meet that soul. So that while we are drawing near to Him, He is drawing near to us, the delicacy and beauty of these expressions are, I think, but seldom noted. And I could not agree more. The delicacy and beauty of us as flawed, fallen, needy human beings approaching God. And because of the, the price His Son paid for us, He then moves back towards us. There is a rhythm and a beautiful flow in the middle of that that I don't know that I can adequately describe here today. But it is something unbelievably precious for us as Christ followers and as believers. Number four, another way that we can show affection, pay attention to the little things. Pay attention to the little things. <clears throat> I don't know if, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy, so I'm talking to the husbands a lot, so I'm not picking on your husbands, I'm just kind of like, we're all in this together, right? Like, we're just, you know. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to bring your wife something that she wanted, but you weren't super excited about it, and you gave her what she wanted, but it kind of wasn't in the way she wanted to receive it, and you not so subtly had that thing returned to you, or thrown at you. Like, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Oh, my God. But, um, 
So, I, so my wife never thrown it at me. I, I'm, I'm just I'm doing it. You're right here. She don't she don't throw anything at you. I've heard stories. I've heard stories. Um, so I don't know if you've ever like I don't know if you've ever brought like your wife like, and she says you know what you haven't brought me flowers a long time. And so the next day I go and bring flowers. My here's your flowers and she's like, what is that? What are the flowers for? I'm like, because you said you wanted flowers. And she corrected me in this. I brought the flowers. I did the thing that you wanted me to do. I gave you the gift you wanted to give, but I don't want no stinky flowers with if you don't want to give them to me. Okay, amen. That's yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say amen. Yes, 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 yes. I'm, I'm saying I learned something from this, so let me get through this. Um, so, so, so when I brought the flowers, and I was like, here, here's your flowers. And I was I was a younger man, a much younger man. I'm still young, but I was much younger in my marriage than I am right now. And I've learned from this mistake, but I brought them. And she's like, I don't want no flowers for them stinky attitude. Just take it back. Because it's not only important to bring the object of your affection what they want. You need to bring it how they want it. All the women in the house said? Amen. Amen, women. Don't be afraid. There we go. There we go. Don't be afraid. Ain't nobody judging. We're all good. We're all good. So, it's important to understand whoever the object of your affection is, not just what they want, but what they want behind it. Let's read this together, okay? 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives, period. For God loves a person who gives, Cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So here, Paul is telling the Corinthian church, don't worry, I'm not taking an offering on this one, um, to, to, um, to give, not just to give, but give cheerfully. He's not saying there's something on the checklist you need to do. That would be far easier for me as a rule follower guy. I would like to be, I did that. But he's not after me doing that. He's not after me giving in this way. He's saying, I want your heart to be cheerful when you give it. Because then the reason you gave it is not because you checked off the list like some robot. You did it because there was affection. There was love. There was something spilling out of you that wanted to give. I'm talking about this scripture right now as it relates to money because that's what the scripture's talking about, but I'm not talking about money. You understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the heart behind why we do something. We have to pay attention to the little things because that little thing is actually huge. It's huge. Do I take the offering that I bring and go, here God, do what you wanted. And does he push that back across the table and go, take your stanky attitude with your money back? That's the lesson that I learned to go, no. 
he's very clear he loves someone who's cheerfully doing what he asks. He wants the heart to be right behind the action. This is what he constantly pounded the Pharisees with. You do all this stuff, you give every little fraction of like even little incense and little spices and things, but you neglect the bigger, bigger, weightier matters of the heart. Because he's not trying, Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about your heart being his. <coughs> Pay attention to the little things. Number five. Another way we can show affection to somebody is ask what they want. <coughs> ask what they want. How can we understand what God wants? We can ask Him. But there's a greater thing going on for us as Christ followers. He's already given it to us in His Word. The next sign of your notes. We can spend time in Scripture to find out what His instructions are. We can also see His character and how he acts in a multitude of situations. We can find the right way to act or respond in any of life's situations in Scripture. In Scripture. You're not going to find, how do I handle Bill from accounting in the Bible? What you are going to find is how... God's people have correctly and incorrectly dealt with people they had adverse situations with. And take that principle and then apply it to your specific bill from accounting scenario. You can find what he wants from us in his word. And what did we talk about last week? Obeying his instructions is another sign of worship for him. If you read his word, next on your notes, if it's unclear, we can go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to clarify it for us. He is not trying to confuse you with what he's asking from you. It's not a Rubik's Cube that you've got to figure out. I spent years of my life thinking there was this weird thing that God was trying to get me to understand and, and try to figure out. He's like, hey, bro, just read the Bible. Just read the book. Figure it out. And if you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit's operating in you. If there's something you don't understand, ask the Holy Spirit, and He's the one who gives the revelation. Proverbs tells us the, mo the wisest man next to Jesus ever to walk the face of the earth was Solomon. And 52 times in the book he authored, it just doesn't say pursue um, knowledge. It says pursue understanding. We have to understand what he wants, and God wants it to be clear to you. He's not trying to play the shell game and, and show you his superiority over you. If he had to do that, he wouldn't be superior over you. He already is, over all of us. There's no need for him to prove it. He wants you to be closer to him because it's better for you. He doesn't have a need. He's God. So, out of love for us, he's saying, come closer to me, read this book I've given you, and you'll know what I want. Hebrews 11, verses 6. 
And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith. This is not the only thing he wants from us. It is one example of just how clear his word is by lining out his desires for us as his children. Believe. And when you believe, you've asked him what he wanted, you're following his instruction, and when you do that, it is an act of worship. Number six, accept what they offer. So imagine for a moment, I'm going to pick on Mike because he's my hero in the story. He's my hero in the story. He's Renee's hero every day. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, But imagine for a moment, okay, so that I'm walking across, you know, 7th Street out here, and I'm not paying attention, and I'm just kind of, Strolling through my phone, not really watching, just kind of walk right out in the middle of traffic. Mike sees me, sees a big old car coming, and he thinks, I got my headphones in, I'm not going to hear him if he yells. So he runs as fast as he can, just back like as quick as his football days. And he comes, dives, knocks me out of the way, tackles me, saves my life. But in the middle of doing that, when he's falling forward, that truck comes and clips his ankle and breaks his ankle. Oh my goodness, I'm so thankful for him, but now, Mike, broken ankle, take him to the hospital, gonna have to have surgery. I'm gonna put some pins in there, some screws, and a metal metal rod that's gonna be there the rest of your life. Every time you go through an airport, they're gonna love you, they're gonna pat you down every time, you're gonna set it off. He has to go through all of the therapy, all the rehab, all of the things that it would be to recover weeks on end. And as he walks in here in crutches or in a boot or limping or when it gets cold outside, he's like, oh, it's going to rain. My ankle's acting up or whatever. You know what I mean? Like he, he, He's looking at that. Every time I saw him, I would immediately think of how grateful I was somebody paid the price to save me. Every time he would walk in here and I'd see the scar on his ankle and think all the things that he's been through, I would be so full of gratitude at what somebody did for me. How arrogant of it would of how arrogant would it be of me to look at Mike and go, yeah, bro, you did that, but where's my check for a million dollars? Wait, what? That's insane, right? But we do that to God. He did everything for us. He saved us. He brought us back from the brink of death There is no place in hell for us any longer because he paid the price for us to be with him. But I'm mad if 
my bank account doesn't reflect as high as I want it to. And I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking I have done this. God, I see you blessing this person and this person and that person and they're doing stuff and I know how this fool is living and they're not living right at all and yet they're just rolling in money and I'm over here like struggling week to week to week and I'm doing all this stuff. All Jesus has to do is raise a nail-scarred hand for me to go, I am an idiot. That scar that scar, those scars, that's the priceless part. What he first offers you, and he first offers me, is salvation. The first, the starting block with Christ is being with him forever. <laughs> salvation is not the end. It is the beginning for believers in Christ. Those scars are the starting line for us. And the starting line is I get out of hell and into heaven with you in paradise forever. What else do I need? I'm going to take, I'm going to accept exactly what he's offering. And this should be the way we remember and recount. there's anything in your life that is lacking. Anything at all. Matt, if there's anything in your life that's lacking, it's not exactly that you, how you want it to be. Before we run down the road of disappointment that I don't have this stuff, you should first recognize God's gift of salvation and the sacrifice Jesus paid for us. When that is the priority, there is great contentment. Be content with what the Lord has provided for us every day and remember the price He paid. <clears throat> Before I get into this last point, we're going to do something real quick. I'm going to ask you to help me real quick. Worship has nothing to do with music. I'm trying desperately to kill that idea in us. Because as you see right here, worship has to do with the way we live. Submission, honor, affection, obeying his word, following his instructions, showing affection. But the proper place for music and a song for us and what our goal will be and has been but will be going forward is to sing the songs that help us remember. So instead of walking in and going, love that song, man, it's awesome. That dude can sing. That girl can blow. That, that's awesome. I love the band. How they get rocking on that one. You know what I mean? Like, I'm white, so they don't look right. No, but, <clears throat> but like that bounce. You just got that, uh, that 
thing that you like in it. That's all right. I want you to like it. I'm going to be enjoying it too and rocking and bouncing. But if that is the goal, to bounce and to rock and to love the vocal ability of the person singing, we have missed the point. We're actually not worshiping. We're not worshiping. Because the song should come from our heart. So just for a second, just real quick, let's everybody close their eyes just for a second. Got one more point after this, but close your eyes just for a second. Think about the cross. Think about the price that was paid for you. Think about the nail-scarred hands, the crown of thorns, the blood running down our Savior's face. Put yourself in the position of having the power to get out of the worst imaginable position, but choosing to endure it because you love your creation so much. You have that picture? From that point, this should arise. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the utmost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he placed my feet on solid ground. It makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, Lord you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the So when someone starts to sing about the goodness of God, there should be an affection that rises up in us, a love that rises up in us that says, I recognize that. And when I do think about the Lord, how he did all this stuff for me, it does make me want to shout and worship him. That is how music expresses the heart of worship. The music is not the worship. It is an avenue to express our affection to our God. We can't be in love with the music and the melody. We can enjoy it and we can like it and we're going to do our best at it. And we're going to give excellence. We're going to, we're going to put excellence in, into the, all the things that we do. But beyond all that, this, our affection 
Our true love for God has to arise. And when people look at worship leaders and go, oh man, that's different. It's because the heart of the worshiper is truly worshiping. It's truly submitted. It's truly honoring. It's truly following, not with perfection. There's no one that's perfect. It's a heart that oozes with affection for the God who saved us. And when you put the songs with it, it's all different. Oh yeah, I like that song. No, 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 no. More than I want you to applaud my wife who has got the skills to handle it. I want you to worship the God who created you. To remember what he did and let the the affection rise out of you for him. Number seven on your notes, the last point. Say why they are amazing. How do you show affection to somebody? You say why they are amazing. This should be a natural action when we talk about the people we really love. When somebody asks me about my wife, how she's doing, I can go, good. Or I can go, man, that girl cooked chicken and bell peppers again last night, and she knows I like that. That girl takes care of me. <laughs> See that cheese ball thing right there? <laughs> that is affection that naturally oozes out of me for the object of my love. Matthew 14, 32-33 says this. Let's go back to that same scripture we read earlier. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. They said it out of their mouth. The challenge for us is to say out of our mouth how good God is. Hey man, how's your week been? Been a crazy week. I can't find any toilet paper. <laughs> I've been to the store and watched people punch somebody in the mouth for a bottle of water. I have I've seen people go absolutely crazy. But you know what? It's something when I spend time with God, it just spills out over me that none of this really matters. He's good. He's going to provide. Do you see how that the genuine love for God can just spill out in your conversation? I'm not talking about the cheesy church stuff. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Woo! And then we walk out the door. No. I'm not talking about that. If you do that, I ain't mad at you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about dude, let's do the church thing so we know that we can we we're on the same page. No, no, no. The disciples' affection to the Lord resulted them in proclaiming Jesus as Lord out of their mouths. It's the next line in your notes. Proclaiming Jesus as Lord out of their mouths. When we show, last line in your notes, when we show affection to God, it is another way we worship Him. 